Warning, the following podcast features views and opinions that are not representative of the collective views of the Whispers groups. Some of these views may not be suitable for children. Accordingly, the producers and hosts of the Missy AE podcast must insist that no one attempt to take anything that is being said as representative of the views of any of the Whispers groups. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Missy AE podcast. Tonight, we bring to you Sports Whispers Weekly, and boy, do we have... uh... Do we have the matchup going on currently in the NBA playoffs with the Boston Celtics currently mm-hmm. leading by about four points? And it looks like Kyrie is about to head to the line. Uh, so that will or should be narrowed down to two points here. Uh, with currently it is a 56 lead. Uh, we have... Obviously, we're going we're going to cover uh, more of the NBA playoffs tonight. Uh, we will cover uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs, or at least take a preview of, of what teams we should be expecting to see in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, we will also look at Major League Baseball and uh, maybe give some of our picks of just obviously it's early season, but maybe give some picks as to who we could potentially see in the World Series picture this year. Uh, We will also talk about uh, Tyson Fury and his big win earlier today and maybe a potential mega matchup uh, that will be coming on in the the sport of boxing coming up uh, and much more. So uh, obviously I have Lou joining me as always. as far as I know, I believe we will uh, we will probably have Chris joining us at some point tonight, and who knows, maybe J maybe JB will call in at some point as well. Uh, but Lou, yeah. I want to get your thoughts first off on this Brooklyn Boston matchup because yeah, we said la- we said last week how this isn't your ordinary number seven seed that no. Brooklyn. You know, Brooklyn has the firepower to uh, where if you were to look at at this any other way, you would probably think that this that you know that the roles would be reversed, that Boston would be a potential seven seed, and Brooklyn would be. I mean, hell, they were what the number one seed, number two seed last year, I believe in the East. Number one, number two seed, yes. And now all of a sudden we. But of course they were saying you know uh, Harden's foot was on the line, so that's what cost them that, and that's how they lost that series. Yeah, and well, now all of a sudden we've seen some sort of role reversal, basically, uh, with Boston. Now all of a sudden, you know, being the entering this. Uh, entering this as the number two seed, and I said this from the very beginning, there was one team I would not want to face uh, coming coming from the play-in tournament, and that was Brooklyn. But so yes. far, we've seen we've seen a Jason Tatum game winner uh, right at, right at the buzzer with a with a game winning layup because Kevin Durant uh, overplayed his uh, overplayed his defensive. Uh, where he was set up on defense, which allowed Tatum to completely blow right by Kyrie Irving for the game winner. And in game two, 
we saw Boston win by a by a little bit of a bigger margin by about seven points in a yes. uncharacteristically low shooting uh, performance performance by Kyrie Irving, and also technically you could say as well by Kevin Durant. I mean this. Yes, I, I don't know what this Boston defense is doing, but somehow they have been able to limit significantly limit Kevin Durant compared to previous matchups. Yeah. And the, I mean, the, you know, some people have said that they that they've been doing this at a historic rate. You know, to where they they led the league in defensive. Uh, defensive rating this year with I think it was like 106.2 or something uh compared so to now of, now obviously I'm not I'm not saying this Celtics team is a championship team I'm not saying that at all but comparing it to the 2007-2008 Boston Celtics team that won the yeah. NBA title uh they have they have actually a higher defensive rating than that Boston team had. Then again, though, mm-hmm. it's obviously it's a much different era of basketball compared to yes compared to back then. But I, I, let me get your thoughts, Lou, on the the two zero start. So far for the Boston Celtics in this series, they I, get, mean, I mean they got away with it. The Nets had a chance in Game One, but their defense, you know, in the final seconds, you know, they just they just couldn't they just couldn't they just couldn't block the block the defender on the Celtics, and that's how they lost. That's how they got that buzzer beater at the end. Game Two, they just ran out of gas. I mean, they were up 17 in the first quarter, looked like a sure win, but Boston just found a way to bow back. And of course, the Nets been getting all kinds of foul trouble and whatnot. And it's 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 cost it's cost them. You know, Boston I think just has too many weapons right now. They're trying to hang in there. You know, they're only down by six now, but they really have to step up here. And maybe now here's a there's a rumor going around that Simmons might be able to play in Game Four. I don't know if that's going to make some kind of impact of it, but you know, I think uh, the Nets could really use him right about now because you know this is you know if they don't win this, it is a do or die situation here. So. Everything is going to hinder on what happens here and in game game four on uh, Monday. Yeah, that's uh, that's that is the rumor that uh, according to according to head coach Steve Nash, uh, he has been progressing really well in his rehab, and the problem is is that he hasn't really been able to work with any of. No. Any of the any of the players that he would technically be out there on uh, you know on the court at the same time with, so mm-hmm. you know it, it makes you wonder uh, exactly what you said. You know what kind of impact, if any, would he really have coming uh, coming into this series, depending on whether it's a two one Boston lead or if it's a three nothing Boston lead. Because you know it's one thing it's one thing to have the amount of talent that Simmons has, but mm-hmm. you also have to you also have to have to have that camaraderie. You have to have that camaraderie with your teammates. You have to know where your teammates are going to be, and yeah. the fact that he hasn't really been 
I mean, he's been practicing. You know, he's been doing, I, I believe, three on threes. But yes, he hasn't really I think four on four as well. Four on four, yeah. But he hasn't really been practicing with people. Oh, and Kyrie just picked up his fourth. Uh, he hasn't really been practicing, you know, with the people, the the with the teammates that he would be out there on the court at the same time with. So, you know, it's it it, it just makes you wonder how. How much? How much of an impact would he really have? Because, and you know, the the the, fa- the fact being too that you also take his previous playoff, uh, his previous playoff uh, appearances into account, and yeah. he just seems to kind of disappear once the playoffs happen. Plus, you also have to take into account as well that he hasn't even played a single game of basketball since the playoffs last year. So you kind of have to figure Rust is going to play a factor as well. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Boston ends up somehow going up three, nothing on Brooklyn. I would not be surprised at all if they, if they potentially shut Simmons down because yeah, I mean, let's, let's face it. There's so many variables that are going that are yes. going through in this uh, in this situation right now. That you know you you just you just have to wonder, like you said previously, what kind of impact would Simmons really have? Like would and how how many how many minutes would he even play? Very limited. Well, I would say no more than ten. I mean, right. Then again, right now we have Robert Williams, you know, uh, coming coming back from his uh, from his uh, knee surgery uh, for his partially torn meniscus. And let me just take a let me just take a quick look at the minutes count. He's actually he's played very limited minutes, only six and a half, or, or only around yeah. seven minutes tonight. So. Which is odd because they said that he was uh, he was on track to play around twenty twenty four minutes. So uh, it looks like Boston is being extra cautious uh, with Robert Williams moving forward here. And yeah. you know you ca- you kind of have to wonder the same thing about Ben Simmons because yes. he needs to get back into playing shape to begin with. So, you know, who knows exactly how long that may t- that may take for him. I mean, he has to get a feel actually being out there on the court in active competition for the first time in a long time. And I mean, is it is this really the time to do that in the middle of the playoffs? No. No. I mean, I I guess, I guess if if they were down three nothing, you know, it, it, it wouldn't hurt because you know you could uh, you can basically only go up only go up from uh, from that spot. But you know, in a two if if Brooklyn can can narrow this down to two to one, 
I, I don't really know if I would want to put Simmons in there. I don't know if I would want to, especially if Brooklyn can get things going, I don't know if I would want to disrupt uh, any sort of momentum that Brooklyn may be building. Of course, you know, that's just, that's just me. You know, I'm not, I'm not an NBA coach. I'm not a, uh, you know, I'm just an NBA fan. So I, I've never right. played the game. I agree. So I wouldn't know, I wouldn't know what's best. But, uh, yeah. Ooh, that was a pretty, a pretty hard hit Tatum took at the end there. Uh, sure did. You know, there's actually been some awards that have come out uh, yes. since uh, since last week. Uh, first off, with the uh, with the defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart of the Boston Celtics. A lot of people no have believed there. that he's. A lot of people have believed that uh, he should have been defensive. He should have been in the running for defensive player of the year uh, many times so far in his career. Mm-hmm. He's finally got in the running this year and he was officially named the defensive player of the year on Monday night. Uh, Mikael Bridges of the Phoenix Suns finished in second and last top team of the year. Sure. And Rudy Gobert last year's winner finished third and Marcus smart. He becomes the first guard to win defensive player of the year since Gary Payton did it all the way back in 1996. Talk about drought. And I thought this was a pretty, I thought this was a pretty cool gesture too. Uh, Gary Payton was actually on hand uh, in Boston when they did the presentation of the trophy, Uh, not just at the Celtics practice, but also, uh, also for game one, when they, uh, when they officially gave him the award in front of the fans before, uh, before the start of game one. Uh, So, He's also the second player to win the award with the Celtics uh, since Ke- or the only other player to do so was Kevin Garnett back in the the first season that the big three were together in 2007-2008. Uh, and, you know, we've seen many times so far this series why Marcus yes. Smart was named the defensive player of the year. Uh, some of the some of the charges that he's been able to draw, some of the steals that he's been able to make, you know, it's M- Mikhail Bridges had a very good season with Phoenix. Rudy Gobert had a good season with uh, with Utah. You know, like a, just like the votes that I read that I read off last week when we were go- when we were going down each list, Smart was ahead by a mile. So right. You know, it's. I, I guess it's no. It's no wonder why Marcus Smart ended up ultimately ended up winning it, because, you know, there, he's had a lot of people uh, around the league that have been singing his praises ever since. You know, ever since he officially, uh, a couple of years ago, started turning into more of a defensive point guard, as uh, as opposed to a playmaker. And also this week we had uh, Scotty Barnes of the Toronto Raptors. He was officially yeah. named the Rookie of the Year 
uh, as he edged out Evan Mobley in a very close vote. Uh, ultimately, it ended up being just between Barnes and Mobley. I know there was uh, Cade Cunningham was also in the running for a little bit, but he pretty much got eliminated. Dropped off. Uh, yeah, he 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 was left in the dust basically between uh, between Barnes and Mobley, uh, but. Overall, yeah. Scotty Barnes uh, ended up taking home the award. Uh, he joins Damon Stoudemire and Vince Carter uh, as the Raptors, who have won Rookie of the Year while with the Raptors. And also, yeah. uh, not only was he named Rookie of the Year, but he was uh, he was eligible uh, to play in not just game three against the 76ers, but uh, right. he officially played earlier today. I forgot if he, I forget if he played in game three. I don't, I don't think he did, uh, but he, he did was either. available. He was available to go officially today uh, where the, uh, the Toronto Raptors got back into their series. Uh, granted it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit of life. Uh, they were down three, nothing, uh, they are showing a little bit of life, uh, getting back in thanks to their game earlier today uh, with a 110-102 to 102 victory over the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. And, you know, th- there's one big thing to talk about with this, with this series. Now, obviously, they're going back to Philly. Yes. So that means that, that, means that defensive standout Matisse Tibble – uh, will be eligible to play because since they're in Philly, there's no vaccination, uh, there's no vaccination rules, and right. they have to they they have Tibble right coming back. The problem here is though, is uh, it appears that Joel Embiid has a torn ligament in his thumb. Right. But he also said that he's going to hold off surgery until after the after the season ends for them. Yeah, yeah, that that that, that is the thing that he is going to hold off on surgery. Uh, however, it looked like he looked very un he he looked very un Joel like if we will put it that way. Yeah. Uh, today he finished seven of sixteen shooting. Uh, 21 points, eight rebounds, three assists. He was a he was a minus five, but it, you know it just seemed for the most part that you know this is this isn't the same Embiid uh, that we've seen be dominant out there on the court. I mean, he seemed very hesitant, and whenever he would get shots off. He 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 just seemed very off in today's matchup. I don't know if it's because of the defense, yes. if it's because of the defense that Toronto was putting on him, but he just didn't seem like his normal self. And no. you kind of have to wonder. You kind of have to wonder if maybe that uh, maybe that thumb is sort of playing a bit of a role. Oh. What are your what are your thoughts on that, Lou? Could it, do you think that 
obviously he's going to wait until the off season uh, to have anything done on this thumb. Do Not a smart move. Exactly? I think you should get it done sooner. Because the more you, the well, more he plays it, the more it's going it's going to bother him, and that's not going to help his case. So I think he, I think he needs to get it done sooner. I mean, I don't think it's gonna I don't think it's gonna help him to, to delay it anymore. I mean, no, cause it might get at worse. The same time, at the same time, though, that'll probably take him out of uh, out of the playoffs. So if he's hurting, you know, I don't know if he, you know, he should be even in playing, you know, because he was hurting today. Uh, who knows how much worse he can get as the games go on? Yeah, I know you shouldn't. You know he is a star player, but still, I mean, it's not going to help him. Yeah, it it obviously it doesn't help. Uh, no, it it doesn't help having to play through the pain. But at the same time, you Some know, do. You, you if you take out. If you take out Joel Embiid, if, if Embiid decides to have the surgery now, which will yeah. probably take him out, I, I don't, because I, I'm pretty sure you can't play after having had surgery on uh, on your thumb. Uh, I believe the last I remember, it there was some somebody was out for at least a month, I think, after surgery yeah. on their thumb. So. You know, maybe at best somebody could potentially be back for the Eastern for the uh, the Eastern Conference Finals, or maybe even potentially the NBA Finals. I guess. Yeah, depending but, on how long he'd be out for, you know. Yeah, but I don't know. You know, I don't know about that because you take out Embiid. I mean, Embiid didn't look like himself, but he was still producing numbers. You know, he was still he was still yes. putting up numbers today. The problem, yeah, is but he was hurting though. Rid of, if, he was hurting, yes. But if you get rid of Embiid, I mean, their second option is Paul Reed, who had eight points off the mm. bench today. You yes, know, it's not me. like they. It's it's not like they have another big like like an Andre Drummond or or uh, you know a Dwight Howard. They don't have a notable. They don't have a notable big to replace Embiid. So you know, I just Embiid playing through the injury still gives them the best opportunity. And we now have uh, through three quarters. It is Boston eighty-one, uh, Brooklyn seventy-two. And this is—I yeah. I remember the question I wanted to—I remember the question I wanted to ask you, Lou, because I was—that's yes. why I went over to the uh, to the NBA awards uh, thing because I was trying to remember what question I wanted to right. ask you. A lot of people have been saying that Steve Nash is is likely coaching for his job for the rest of this series. Yeah, I was going to say that. And there's talk if he gets if they if they either get swept or if they lose in 5, there's talk that Steve Nash could be made as the scapegoat for the for Brooklyn's struggles. Mm. So, 
you know, one of the one of the big things I'm wondering is how much do you really put do you really put the blame on Nash for Brooklyn's uh, problems this season? Well, I can't really blame it on Nash. I mean, there's been a ton of injuries. They've been hit by COVID a lot as well. So I don't really think you can put the blame all on Nash. You know, it's been you know it's been a very difficult season. I mean, they had their moments during the season, but after the injuries, the trade. Um, and COVID, you know, it all adds up together. So is Nash to blame for most of the problems? No, no, I really don't. I think the Nets just fell on hard luck, and that's why they struggled towards the end of the season and almost didn't feel like they would even make the playoffs. But to blame it, to put it all on Nash, no, no, I, I, I disagree on that. Yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, you take you take a look at uh, at where they finished last year. You know they were right. among the top of the Eastern Conference in terms of in terms of uh, standings. Granted, that's because they had the big three. They had, you know, they they had James Harden uh, along with along with Irving and Durant. Uh, they ended up losing in the second round uh, in the mm-hmm. conference semifinals to, I believe, it was. I want to say, yeah, it was to Milwaukee, the eventual champions. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I mean, they finished at they finished at forty eight and twenty four last year, which, you know, it's pretty good. Honestly, it's pretty good for a for a first time coach. You know, mm-hmm. I. Gr- granted, they finished this year in uh, having to do the play in tournament, but. I don't know if if you can really put a lot of the blame on Nash this year because I mean no. yeah you can put the blame on you can put the blame on him that he hasn't been able to make certain adjustments but I mean to really put the blame on Nash when you have when you have two studs in Durant and Irving and they're underperforming Against against a team who who's been known to uh, to smother uh, opposing offenses, you know, I just I don't I don't really agree that Nash should really be at the. Uh, I mean, obvi- obviously, when you, when you have a team as good as when you have a team as good as Brooklyn has, you know, you expect a lot more out of them. But I mean, we've seen. You know, we've seen we've seen teams. Uh, I mean, look at the look at the Lakers, for example. On paper, you know, their yeah. team looks like a playoff contending team. You know, they they look like a team that should have been contending for the uh, for an NBA title this year. On paper, and look what happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't but know what's I, worse, I mean, how the Nets know, how the Nets did how how like did this season with mini series they're showing. Okay, enough on that though. But I mean, just take a, just take a look at some of the names on this Brooklyn Nets team. Obviously, yeah. you got Kevin Durant, you got Kyrie Irving, you have Seth Curry, who, you know, who, who's been obviously not as not as good as his brother Steph, but he's still been very serviceable as a regular everyday as a regular every game yeah. starter. You have Andre Drummond, who I don't know what happened with him and why he's fallen off, but he used to be so good 
for for the uh, Detroit yeah. Pistons. He used to be he used to be their stud player uh, out there in Detroit, and something ended up happening after he left Detroit that, for some reason, he just hasn't been the same player. I don't know I don't know why. Uh, you have Goran Dragic, who you have Goran Dragic, who who was a threat with Miami. He still is mm-hmm. technically a pretty big threat off of the bench. I mean, I rem- I remember uh, listening to Charles Barkley when. Now, granted, that's not really a that's not really a uh, a big a big. Uh, a big analyst to take uh, to take seriously with some of the comments that he makes, but the one thing that he mentioned was that Brooklyn could could seriously look like a legitimate threat all all around with the addition of Goran Dragic uh, that they made that they made yeah. towards the deadline. You have Patty Mills, who for so many years was a stud with San Antonio. You have Blake Griffin, who was a stud for L.A. for the uh, right. for the Clippers for so many years. You have Lamarcus Aldridge, the same thing with the Spurs, or not the Spurs, the uh, Trailblazers. You know, you have so many big names on this roster that it, it just. I, I don't know how you can have so many names and yet put the blame on the coach. You can't. Although I will, you know, I will always say, that, yeah, but that you know that's always the easy fall guy to use is to to use as a fall guy, right? Of course. Coach. Uh, but this is actually, and this is you know no fault of uh, no fault of Brooklyn's, but uh, this is the first no. time that they've actually had uh, Blake Griffin out there on the court this series, and he's been dealing with uh, I think it was like an ankle issue or something. Uh, mm. But Griffin is actually seeing uh, playing time for the first time this series, and. You know he's one he's one of those players that I originally you know I originally liked the acquisition uh, when Brooklyn yeah. acquired him a, a year or two ago, and you know he he seemed to really fit in very well, but now it seems like he's basically been reduced to nothing more than a than a bench player. And maybe potential, yeah. maybe potentially barely seeing any playing time. I mean, he's he's down to averaging like, I think I think he averaged about six points a game this year. Which, yeah, right. six point six point four points per game, which is obviously a you know a, a career low for him. Uh, you know, I almost have to. I almost have to wonder if maybe, perhaps, uh, the problem with Brooklyn is age. I mean, Patty Mills. You know, he's turning. He he's approaching thirty four. Uh, mm, Lamarcus Aldridge is, uh, is a, Lamarcus Aldridge is approaching thirty seven. 
You have Dragic uh, approaching 36. Kyrie, Kyrie is in his prime. He's, you know, he's 30. He's in his prime. Uh, Bruce Brown, Bruce Brown's tw- uh, approaching 26. He's going to be a, uh, a free agent this year. Having a good but, game tonight, too. Listen, oh, yeah. He's, uh, uh, he's been money pretty much the last two games, including tonight, for, uh, oh, yeah, especially for tonight. Brooklyn. Which is really weird. It's really weird when you look at weird. when you look at uh, at this roster, and Bruce Brown is your best player these last two games. Yeah. I mean that seems kind of odd, don't you think? That Bruce Brown yeah. and actually let me look tonight. He's their he's their number one scorer once again so far. Twenty three points. Ooh, what a step back three. Or was that a two? Oh, a two. No, that counts as a two. Okay. A two. That's weird. I thought I, it, it, looked, it looked like Curry was behind the three. Um, That's how he lost the series last year. But, yeah, you know, uh, Brown tonight, 23 points so far, six rebounds. Oh, my Lord, what a three. That was a three. Uh-huh. <laughs> Jalen Brown. 86-78 with about eight and a half minutes left to go in this uh, in this matchup here. Oh, wide open. You Not see, Blake, Drif- Blake Griffin can still Blake Griffin can still shoot those threes. Still shoot them. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> But, you know, I mean, just taking a look at – I mean, look at Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant both have 14 points tonight. Now, it's it's been a better game for Irving. Irving somehow only went for 10 points last game. But, yeah, you have have Durant, who is 6 for 11 tonight so far. Mm Mm-hmm. Man, Blake. It, it looks. It looks like they've moved on to Blake Griffin now to be their uh, to be their go-to guy here. Uh, Been playing a game. Oh yeah, yeah. He's. Uh, you think that honestly, you think that's uh, on the ropes. They keep uh, battling back. Yeah, but there is an answer right back by Jason Tatum. You sure I haven't heard a guy. Some, some of these shots. That Tatum can put off, or that 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 Tatum can put up, it seems yeah. it seems like they almost come out of nowhere with some some of these opportunities. Uh, Shoot the ball, you jackass! I mean, it is. You know, a lot of pe- a lot of people believe that uh, that Jason Tatum is on, is on his way to becoming one of those two way superstars. Who can do it not just offensively but yeah. also defensively? A nice push off by Jalen Brown there uh, for the. Uh, you know, a lot, uh, there are people that are that are beginning to believe that we're starting to see Jason Tatum take that next step uh, in terms of co- yeah. uh, competitively. I mean, obvi- you know, obviously he still has to uh, he still has to make an NBA final before uh, you know people consider him. 
can consider him among the top, like with LeBron James, with uh, with James. all the other uh, all the other big winners. But uh, you know, it's for people who were saying that uh, entering the season were saying that Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown may need to be moved because the two can't play with each other. The two the two do not know how to play together. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, they've clearly been they've clearly been proven wrong uh to up to this point. And it's it, it's just like how Jalen Brown said uh at one point during the season that the uh that the energy is beginning to shift. And yes. that was before he said that before they went on that huge run where they where they won where they uh they won like Hell, I forget. I forget how many. Uh, it was like twenty out of twenty-four or something. I for, I forget the exact. Uh, yeah. The exact amount, but it was after it was after January yeah, when they started going. When they went on that huge tear. <laughs> but uh, you know, one one person to keep an eye on here for the Boston Celtics is Peyton Pritchard off of the bench. Ten points. Oh yeah. Ten points. Ten points off of the bench on four of five shootings. Uh, you know, maybe the last good draft pick that Danny Ainge made before he uh, before he officially left town uh, was Peyton Pritchard. A lot of people were looking at Aaron Neesmith as potentially being uh, the pick of that draft uh, by Danny Ainge, or the pick. Uh, of the Boston Celtics, I should say, not the entire, not the, not the steal of the entire draft, but uh, you know, between Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard, who were the two first round picks that Boston had that year, uh, people were looking at Neesmith as being the one to remember from that draft of the, of the Celtics. But now it looks like it's Peyton Pritchard that, uh, everybody is remembering with Neesmith basically being an afterthought. Yeah. And looking at Robert Williams is a uh, time now, 15 and a half minutes he has played. So either he's going to close out the remainder of this game or they may take, they may put him back on the bench uh, pretty soon here. Let me take a look at the foul trouble. Uh no, well, wait a minute. Hang on. Where's this Tice? No, that's Williams. Uh, Tice and Horford aren't really in foul trouble, so yeah, maybe they might they might put uh, Robert Williams back on the bench, depending on. But yeah. from from how he looked he tonight, they said that they said depending on how he looks tonight, uh, Robert Williams uh, may see. Oh, what a steal by Grant! And Tatum gets the two and and one. Was that a foul called? That was a foul. And it looks like that is on Durant, I think. No, that's not an and one. Oh wait, it is. Okay, so that will be number three for Durant. Three fouls. Wow, Brooklyn is. Brooklyn has got problems right now in terms of personal fouls. Yep. Kyrie is 
Kyrie is one away from fouling out. Curry has four. Brown has four. Durant has three. Drummond has three. And the bench is, is relatively clean for the most part, it looks like. But, I mean, Lou, how, how shocked are you right now at what we're seeing here? Because, Sticking. and that's going to be a, that's going to be a turnover. Yep. A back, a backcourt violation. Um, you know, the, this Brooklyn Nets team has received so much coverage by the mainstream media, by, uh, by the mainstream well, sports. Uh, well, yeah, but you know, I, you know, it's, it's the fact that you have two players like Kyrie and Kevin Durant, and yet they're not producing like they should be. All right. Cause you know, they made, they made such a big deal after, after Brooklyn lost game one, they made such a big deal of, oh, Kevin Durant, he always comes back big. He always comes back big when uh, following a loss uh, to where, you know, he'll put up a monster game. He'll put up like 39 points or something like that. Uh, and so far, we haven't seen that happen. Yeah. And that is Durant's fifth, I think. Wait. Wait a minute. Hang on. No, hang on. I have no idea what they're doing, what they're arguing here. Or is that Tatum's fifth? No, that's Tatum's fourth. Okay. So that's a foul on Tatum. Looks like it will be, unless they're challenging it, it look, cause otherwise it looks like it will be three for yeah it looks like it'll be it'll be three shots for Durant from from the free throw line three shots I mean just to show you how big this Boston Celtics defense was in game two Brooklyn was held to Brooklyn was held to one basket the entire second half All of the other points that they scored, or was it the second half or was it the fourth quarter? Maybe it was just the fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah, it was just the fourth quarter. They they were held to one basket in the fourth quarter. All of the other points that they got in the fourth were from free throws. In game two. I mean, that right there, I don't think we have seen that in a playoff game. We've seen that maybe during, during the regular season, depending on what teams are playing, but I don't think we've ever seen that from a playoff game. No. And not only once we're done with this, we will also have game four between Memphis and Minnesota with Memphis currently holding a two to one series lead there. Uh, Memphis, they actually came back from being down, I think it was 25 points 27. to Minnesota. 27. 27 points uh, being down against Minnesota in game three. They end up coming back and winning that game 104-95. to 
Now, the, you know, the one thing about Minnesota, and Jim has actually said, Jim has actually said this multiple times, uh, when it comes to Carl Anthony Towns, is that Carl Anthony Towns has, that has been recently getting the benefit of being able to get to the line by, uh, you know, extending the elbow. Yeah. Like, like certain like certain players have uh, like certain players do certain stars do, in order to uh, impose their will, if you would. But you know, I think the big question this playoff though has been: Is Carl Anthony Towns the franchise player, or is Anthony Edwards no. the franchise player? Wait, I mean, um, Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards has been the better yeah. scorer of the two. He's been the better overall player. Yes. Between the two, this uh, during this playoff run so far, or this playoff series so far. I have to go with Edwards. I mean, what, what do you th- what do you think? Uh, I I know you're going you're going with Edwards in that in that uh, situation, but what do you think of the Memphis series so far, uh, where it looked like it, it looked like Memphis had everything going against them. They had the refs going against them. Uh, Minnesota yes. was uh, was on home court in Game Three. They had they were down twenty seven. And then all of a sudden, Memphis just comes uh, just comes from behind. That's right back. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That was only that was only two. That was only two. I thought he was behind the the, the three point line when he was fouled. Okay. Um. I mean, what is this? Does this speak more towards Memphis's depth, or does this speak more towards the lack of discipline? By Minnesota, I would just say lack of discipline, you know, and you know, overconfident as well. You know, you're up so high, everything is that. Well, we got this game made. You know, we can just ease up a bit. No, you can't. Even though you're 27, which seems you know impossible, but you know, um, they just came right back and got it. You can't, you can't relax even with a big lead unless you got like two minutes in the fourth quarter. But you know, true. You let your guard down, and they and. Yeah, we'll take advantage of it. True, you can't you can't relax regardless of uh, regardless of what no. your lead is. Uh, and you know, I think this was actually this was actually a low for Minnesota for Carl Anthony Towns. He had only eight points last game. For uh, I think I think ever since he started as a pro, I think that may have been uh, in a game where he wasn't injured at all, that may be a low for him. A huge three-pointer there by Al Horford. I think that's actually his first – I think that's his first uh, His first points of the night there. Um, yeah, you know, those eight points by Carl Anthony Towns, I think is actually a career low for him in a game, in a game where he's fully healthy. And literally, all he was doing towards the end of the game was starting to bitch about the refereeing. Yeah. 
So we go we go to uh we go to break here, uh three fifty one to go, one oh one to eighty eight Celtics lead. And Brooklyn is uh they got if they're not in desperation mode, they gotta be in desperation mode now because they are about three minutes away from going down three nothing. Yeah. But you know, look at the, you take a look at this Memphis team though. Uh I mean, let me just give you some stats from from uh last game. John Morant, sixteen points, ten rebounds, ten assists. He had a triple double. Desmond Bain, 26 points. And this is a guy, keep in mind, the Boston Celtics originally drafted and then traded to Memphis for, I think it was like a second-round pick. Or, yeah, I think it was a second-round pick that they traded him for uh, to trade in order to trade into the second round that year. Desmond Bain, 26 points with six rebounds. Uh, as the start as a starting shooting guard, uh, you had Dylan Dylan Brooks with 11 points as a starting uh, the starting. I don't want to say small forward because I don't know if he's the smaller power forward. I believe Kyle Anderson is the power forward. Uh, off of the bench, you had Tyus Jones with 11 points. You had Brandon Clark with 20 points off of the bench. Leading that, leading that comeback by Memphis. I mean, to me, it honestly, it honestly looks like that. You know, it it honestly, it honestly looks like that they're going to be. Uh, you know, it's pro- it's probably more because of Memphis's depth as opposed to uh, to any discipline by Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh man, another basket. This time by Marcus Smart. Yeah, fifteen point lead. It is not looking good for Brooklyn. Uh, let's see. But what, what do you what do you think about about the uh, the second half of this heavyweight matchup uh, of this two part heavyweight matchup? The first part obviously is Brooklyn and Boston right now. Uh, yeah. But what do you think about Memphis and Minnesota? Do you think Minnesota ties ties it up tonight, or do you think Memphis pushes them to the brink? I think Memphis can push them to the brink. I really think I really think they they can. Um... Uh, take on take the wolves and uh, be. A, I don't think it's gonna be a blowout, but I do think that you know they do have more weapons than Minnesota, and we'll we'll take it. And game five, game five, uh, keep in mind is in Memphis, so they would have the chance yeah. to close it out. Uh, they would have the chance to close it out at the FedEx Forum, if that's the uh, if that's the case. And I believe they would match up against Golden State. I want to say. Uh. I think that's when they're going to hit the wall. I mean, possibly, you, you know, you take a look. You take a look at that at that Golden State line, that Golden State roster. Uh, you know, of of the uh, series in the first round, 
Golden State easily has the has the best uh, the best opportunity to sweep the, to sweep their series. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, we did have our fir- our first matchup of the day today though was Utah tying up the series with Dallas with a one hundred to ninety nine squeaker, uh, and. It's weird because Dallas had had the ball with 11 seconds left, and coming out of a timeout, Jason Kidd had the chance. He had the opportunity to draw up a play. He decides to draw it up to where they give it to Luka Doncic. He gets double teamed for five or six min or for five or six seconds, and ultimately they end up settling for a long distance three. And I'm talking, when I say long distance, I'm talking like longer than normal. Right. A longer than normal three. Oh, nice rebound by Al Horford. Uh, you know, a longer than normal three ball. And it's not, it's not, it's not something that I would have expected out of a team that you, you had at least six seconds left to try and to try and get something to, to to try and get some sort of some sort of shot off and that's the best you can come up with is to settle for a long distance three and mm. keep in mind he didn't uh he barely hit the rim as it was and that's right. that ultimately is what that ultimately is what gave utah uh the tie headed back to Dallas for game mm-hmm. five. So, I mean, what are your thoughts, first off, on Luka Doncic returning to action officially today, uh, coming, well, off of that ankle, coming off of the ankle sprain? It, it kind of seemed like they played better without Doncic. It seemed that way, too, because, you know, personally, I didn't think they were really going to do without him. I thought maybe, you know, they would struggle uh, without Doncic in line, but... Looks like it's the other way around. Doncic, though, did show up 30 points, 10 rebounds, 4 assists. Uh, He was the lead scorer. Uh, Jalen Brunson, 23 points as well. 23 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists. Uh, Dwight Powell, Dorian Finney-Smith, and Reggie Bullock who, by the way, Reggie Bullock is a contender for the worst haircut ever imagined, uh, all had 11 points. I can imagine points. that, yes. Uh, I mean, literally, J- Jim said this as we were talking earlier today while watching the game. It was basically reminiscent of a bird trying to take flight. A bird. Yeah, I mean, that's literally what it looks like. That's literally what it looked like was a bird trying to take flight. Yeah. So, so yeah, like I said, uh, a candidate candidate for the uh, worst hairdo of the year. Uh, you know, I want to move away from the NBA for a second here. Obviously, a five point lead. Uh, Jason Tatum heading to the line though with about seventeen point two seconds left, uh, and it looks like this will probably. Yeah, six-point lead, maybe potentially seven-point lead uh, coming out of this. Uh, 
coming out of the second free throw. I want to talk about what happened at Yankee Stadium earlier today. And I'm sure you're probably well aware. Of, yes, I am. Uh, the New York Yankees, they had just gotten a walk-off victory over the Cleveland Guardians. Actually, you know what? I'll go before that. Before that actually took place. Uh, one of the Cleveland Guardian okay. uh, outfielders, I forget his name. His last name was Quan, I think. Uh, and that is a steal, and it looks like that is the game. 109 to 100 uh, for Boston. Or no, 109 to 103, I should say. But uh, basically, there there was an outfielder who tried to make a play on the... Uh, uh, on the game tying play, mm-hmm. and ultimately he ended up he ended up uh, not making the play. But apparently something happened where he got injured on the attempt, and New York Yankee fans started heckling him. That forced yeah. his, uh, his teammate. That caused his teammate mm-hmm. to 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 literally scale the uh, what was it center field was it center field was it left field he ended up scaling one of the walls yeah and having having words with the with uh, those specific fans then when the uh, when the uh, when the game winning uh, the game winning hit took place center, right center field right center field right yeah at right center field uh in, in what was supposed to be a moment of celebration ended up becoming a moment centered around a bunch of ass clowns out in right center field deciding right. to throw trash at the at the uh the cleveland outfielders to the point of where they had Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, and a whole bunch of Yankees to run out to the outfield saying, what the hell are you guys doing? And, you know, urging the fans to stop throwing the trash. Now, obviously, this, uh, this doesn't speak for, you know, this, uh, this isn't reminiscent of or representative of all Yankee fans. But, yeah. One would have to think if these fans haven't been already, they should be banned for life. Stadium. Yes. For, and actually, my understanding is, uh, according to some of the post, according to some of the post game comments that were made by uh, by some of the uh, Cleveland Guardian outfielders involved in this in this whole ordeal, a couple of them were actually hit by some of the beer bottles uh, and uh, other respected pieces of trash that were thrown out onto the, uh, that were thrown out onto the field and ended up having, ended up leaving a couple of marks on some of these players. Yeah. Now it's one thing, it's one thing if something happens like what, what, like what happened when uh, when one of the Cleveland players ended up scaling the fence like they did, you know you can't 
as a fan, you can't prevent that from happening. Well, I mean, you can prevent that from happening. You can, you, can, you know, you, you know, you can you can not open your mouth. Period. Uh, in that scenario, but in the second part, you know, as you you can prevent not having trash thrown on out onto the field. No, you're you're a fan. You just don't do that. You're being at a being able to go to a sporting event is supposed to be a form of entertainment. It was. You know, these it was supposed to be a form of entertainment. These players, you know, they're they're not supposed to be uh they're not supposed to be uh having trash thrown at them. No. I mean, Lou, what what did you think about the I didn't the, see a live the, the but when I heard about it, I was like, what the hell? I mean, yeah, you won and you know I mean, some fans do lose control a little bit, but there is no excuse for that. There is no excuse for that kind of behavior, whether you win or lose. That is not how a fan should act. And that was, you know, very that was, you know, unsportsmanlike conduct. Yeah, and, and you know, it's it's one it's one thing to. I mean, I would expect that. I was, I would expect that uh, for from fans, you know, for, from a loss. Well, I shouldn't say I would yeah. expect it, but you know, I would, you know, well, I, I, I mean, would, you know, I shouldn't say I would expect it. I would anticipate it. I would yeah. anticipate it. I should say, not expect it. I would anticipate that they would do something like that uh, for like a heartbreaking loss or something, or, or maybe you're a fan of a team that absolutely sucks. I wouldn't right. do. I wouldn't expect that from a fan base of a team that literally just walked off a game, that won a game via a walk off. That's not something I would expect at all from a fan base like New York. Yeah. So I was absolutely stunned when that happened. I mean, it's. I I I immediately jotted it down as soon as it happened. I'm like, I gotta talk to Lou about this tonight because. Thanks. I I just didn't think that we would ever. You know, we would we would ever see something like that. I mean, I thought there was, I thought there was a possibility we could have another malice at the palace situation. All it would have taken. All it would have taken was one of those fans. Uh, the the Cleveland outfielder that was getting in their face. All all it would have taken was one of those fans to throw a punch. Yeah. That's all it would have taken. So goes my idiot story of the week next week. Uh, We did have a little bit of interesting news tonight. Uh, The, well, this game is now officially final. Uh, Tampa Bay ended up winning three to two in ten innings. However, it was zero to zero heading into the yeah, tenth inning on a combined no hitter, no joke. Heading into the tenth inning, there were only two total hits the entire game, and that both of those hits came from Tampa Bay. 
Boston was getting no hit into the 10th inning, and had it lasted, had it gone into an 11th inning with a no-hitter still, it would have been the first time since 1901 that uh, that a team had been no-hit past 10 innings mm-hmm. in a single game. And actually, this was, I believe, uh, had it gone through 10 innings, it would have been the first time, period, that a, that a team with a designated hitter would have been no hit through 10 innings. Hmm. I just thought it was amazing. And it, and it took the, the unlikeliest of all players, Bobby Dahlbeck, who has probably been hitting the worst out of all the Red Sox, uh, out of all the Red Sox offense. And yet he hit a triple to, to score the a ghost triple? runner. Yeah, he ended up hitting a triple to start off the tenth inning that uh, that brought in the ghost runner from uh, home from uh, from second. Right. And then and then ultimately he ended up scoring on a sacrifice fly himself. So, but uh, Boston uh, or Tampa Bay ended up walking off Boston in the bottom of the inning with a uh, two-run homer. Uh, after they had scored the ghost runner previously, so a three to two final for uh, the Tampa Bay, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, and you know, looking at looking at uh, baseball as a whole here, honestly, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking at some of the at some of these uh, some of these divisions. And there's like the AL East, for example. I I don't think I can really give a determination at all as to who's who's going to be on track to win the AL East because the AL East is completely all over the place. Yeah. But right now, yeah, except Toronto for Baltimore. is in the lead. Except for Baltimore, yeah. Baltimore is pretty much uh, you pretty much know where Baltimore is going to finish. Um, Their season ended the day of the spring training ended. Pretty much. But you know, I'm looking at the AL East. You got you got Toronto in the lead currently, one game ahead of New York, uh, two okay. games ahead of Tampa, and three ahead of Boston. Uh, you know, obviously, obviously, uh, I would probably assume that you're going to be seeing Toronto and New York jostling for uh, you know for uh, AL East supremacy this year. Assuming that Toronto what about can, the, uh, what about can continue, the, uh, Red Sox. Honestly, we do not have the starting pitching for it. I mean, Chris Sale—he isn't even. Chris Sale isn't even pitching. Uh, James Paxton is out until the uh, the All Star game. And I mean, this is how bad it is right now. We literally had uh, Garrett Whitlock uh, as our starter today. Who, by the way, he threw four one-hit innings uh, with seven strikeouts on 48 pitches. They're trying to. It sounds like they're trying to stretch him out to be an everyday, uh, you know, an every uh, five days uh, starter to be a regular starter. Uh, yes, but you know, everybody thought entering this season that the bullpen would be the problem. It's the starting pitching that's yeah. the problem. I mean, Michael Walker has been a bright spot. 
Michael Walker has been a bright spot. Uh, Nate Eovaldi has been a bright spot. But, you know, the rest of the rotation is it's lackluster. I mean, Rich Hill literally looks like his arm is about to fall off. Uh, Tanner Houck has been 50-50. And we don't even have a bona fide fifth starter. So, yeah. And plus, our offense has decided not to show up this season, apparently. So okay, that's, now you get a problem. Yeah, exactly. That's basically the state of the Boston uh, of the Boston Red Sox right now. Uh, I wouldn't rule out. I wouldn't rule out Tampa Bay maybe potentially making things interesting. Honestly, the way Boston is looking right now, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked if we end up trading Xander Bogarts at the deadline, because it's obvious right. that we're not we're probably we're probably not going to come to an agreement with him because we are far behind, uh, or we are far apart in terms of uh, dollar amounts uh, in see. negotiation talks. So. <sighs> I don't know. You know, I, I, I really do not know about this uh, about this Red Sox team. Yeah, uh, the AL Central, well. the AL Central, Cleveland, believe it or not, is actually a lot better than I thought they were. Uh, Minnesota is kind of hanging in there. Honestly, for the most part, the AL Central sucks. You know, Chicago. Everybody Are you surprised by that? The White Sox. Everybody was looking at the White Sox on paper as being the best team in the AL Central, and they've lost their last six games. They're six and eight now. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, they're tied with Detroit now with, at six and eight, which, by the way, congratulations to, uh, to Miguel Cabrera on his 3,000th hit of his career today. Uh, that, officially, that officially puts him uh, as the seventh player to have had at least 3,000 hits and 500 home runs in his career. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and obviously you have Kansas City at the bottom of the uh, division at 5-7. and seven. So, Yeah, uh, where's the team from you know, team when you need them? Yeah, I mean, AL Central, you're probably looking at Cleveland and Minnesota, maybe an outside chance of Chicago if they can get their shit together. But, yeah, right. Other than that, you know, I just don't – I don't really see – I don't really see them doing – the the AL Central really doing much. A whole lot of shit. The the AL West, you have the LA Angels uh, out in front. Followed by the Seattle Mariners at eight and both teams at eight and six. Uh, Oakland is at five hundred at eight and eight, and Houston is surprisingly at six and eight to start the year, and Texas at five and nine. Uh, believe it or not, even though Texas is five and nine, they're only three games back. So I mean, obviously, you know, with all of these divisions, it's still very early, but. Sometimes you can tell when team, depending on teams, when they get off to good starts. Uh, the NL East, 
the uh, New York fans are still celebrating as if the Mets won the World Series already because they're at 11 and yeah. four. Uh, a four-game lead over Atlanta right now, and a five-game lead over Philly. So, I mean, the NL East yeah, is right so unpredictable. Well, that I'm doesn't not... mean it's going to stay there. No, no, of course not. Uh, but the NL, you know, the NL East is so is so unpredictable. I'm not even going to really even give a prediction right now for the NL East. Uh, yeah, the NL Central. You've got St. Louis out front at nine. And honestly, I would pro- if I were a betting man, I'd probably put money on St. Louis to win the Central. Maybe an outside chance of Milwaukee, but I think we're probably looking at if, – if we're looking at playoff te- potential playoff teams, I think St. Louis is probably one of those teams. Especially what about the Dodgers have- with uh, Freeman? Oh, they're a foregone conclusion. I thought so. They're a foreg- they're a foregone conclusion. They're going to make the playoffs, whether it's as a whether it's somehow as a wild card team, or if they're going to represent the uh-huh. NL West uh, as the division winner. They they're definitely going to make the playoffs this year. Uh, the I NL West that. could potentially the NL West though could potentially be a dogfight if we're if if early standings sure. are any indication. The Dodgers are ten and three. San Francisco is ten and five. They're only one game back. Mm. Colorado is nine and five. They're a game and a half back. San Diego is nine and six. They're two games back. And Arizona, they've already waved the white flag on their season. They're five or they're five and a half games back. Yeah. Speaking of waving the white speaking of waving the white flag though, Cincinnati at two and thirteen. How can a team Forget go it. from from how can a team go from borderline com- contending for the playoffs last year to right back down to the cellar? You can't. What I was doing is how do they manage to get back right down to the cellar? I just I have uh, I have no idea how that is. I, I just have no idea. Yeah, neither do I. The, uh, I mean, it sounds peculiar. By the way, early on here, uh, early on here, this is the same. Uh, we're off to the same start as last game. Uh, Memphis currently up by four over Minnesota, fourteen to ten, uh, about halfway through the first. So, uh, Obviously, plenty of time left here, but it looks like we're off to pretty much the same start uh, for the Memphis Grizzlies against uh, Minnesota as they were last game. Now, the difference is, can Memphis actually avoid going down by 27 this time? I don't know. I mean, I found it kind of strange that you lost – no, you couldn't even hold a 27-point lead. I mean, what did that tell you? Yeah, exactly. You know, that, that's another thing, too, that we, didn't, that we didn't talk about. That has to be morale-draining. To be up by 27. What morale? And then, 
to, to be up by 27 and then completely blow that lead and ultimately end up losing the game entirely. Yeah. I mean, that has to be morale draining. If you're, if you're a if you're, if you're uh, on that team, you're, at that point, you're almost thinking how the hell, what the hell do we have to do to beat these guys? If, we have a 27-point lead, and we can't even beat them. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, go, going over to uh, – when it comes to the NL West, like I said, you're probably looking at a dogfight in the NL West. I, I think out of, all of the, out of all of the divisions, the only team you can really eliminate is Arizona. Uh, other than that, oh, assuming yeah. Colorado can, if Colorado can stay uh, at the same pace that they are right now, it is possible that Colorado could be a potential player going down the uh, going down the road here. Potentially, yeah. Oh, and by the way, uh, Coach Udoka just said of Robert Williams that he thought he thought Robert Williams played great, could have honestly played more. So I think it's safe to say that for game four, you're probably looking at extended minutes for Robert Williams. I think uh, like, uh, like Adrian Wojnarowski said in his, uh, you know, in, in, in the, in a tweet before the game that the anticipation was that Robert Williams would play in game three and if everything went well, expect significant minutes out of him for game four. He went 15 and a half minutes tonight. I think it's safe to say, based off of uh, Coach Udoka, uh, off of his comments, we're probably looking at uh, maybe potentially Robert Williams starting game four. And the good news is he felt no pain in his first game back following knee surgery. Now, you know, it, it, it kind of makes you wonder, Lou, yes. how can somebody come back from knee surgery this quickly? Yeah, it's, it is a miraculous wonder. I mean, he only missed, he only missed nine games, and he came back in three weeks. Yeah, I mean that's okay, that's a pretty miraculous recovery. That's a pretty miraculous recovery when you think about it. And oh yeah, like he like he like he just said, he felt no pain today for today for uh, for today's matchup. So, uh, but yeah, from what it looks like, you know. Uh, considering they're down, uh, Brooklyn is now down three games to none. Uh, yeah. I mean, we brought up the we brought up the question earlier. Would we even see Ben Simmons play? I guess right. at this point, it's at, at this point. There's no. Uh, you know, I I guess there's no harm for Brooklyn. In playing him, I guess because no, you gotta put reason, everything out there on the table. Do. Well, we don't know, 
But at this point, you yeah. know, you got to put everything out there on the table. Unless this is all a ruse and this is just, uh, you know, this is just his way of being able to quiet people uh, when they're asking, you know, when that is he ever going to even mind. step out onto the, you know, is he ever going to step out onto the court this year? That it could, him saying, uh, him leaking out that he would be ready for Game Four. Maybe that's a way of sort of quieting some people. I think I smell a rat too. So I think he I, mean, just I wouldn't be shocked at all. I wouldn't be shocked at all either way. I wouldn't be shocked at all either way if it's a if it's a stunt and he's not really going to play, or if he is really going to play, and this way if Boston wins. He can't, you know, the blame can't be put on Simmons. Right. Because if you remember correctly, last year when Philly got eliminated from the playoffs, all of the blame was put on Ben Simmons for not being able to make the certain plays. Right. So, you know, I don't. Like I said, I wouldn't be surprised either way if he plays or not. Uh, we did have a official retirement this week as Jay Wright, the head coach of the of, uh, of Villanova, officially yes. announced that he was stepping away from Villanova and effectively retiring from basketball entirely. There were rumors that he would maybe take a uh, he would maybe take an uh, an NBA job. Uh, that apparently is false, as he is officially retiring from the sport as a whole. Uh, it was a during his time with Villanova, he was a two-time NCAA Division One champion, winning the title in 2015-2016 and 2017-2018. He had a career mm-hmm. record of 520. 520 wins and 197 losses with the Villanova Wildcats. So now there's another uh, another program that needs uh, that needs filling in in the college landscape. Mm-hmm. And you know, I forgot about I mean, you, you, I forgot about. Th- Go ahead. I mean, you know, he's had an historic career. He gave him two titles and everything. So, you know, I think it's, you know, well-deserving of his retirement now. But he's not leaving basketball completely. He's taking another position. He is? Yes. Not totally like, you know. He's not going to be coaching anymore, is he? Because... Because no, no, my no, understanding no. was that he's okay. So what is it like front office or something? Something with the front office, yes. Or is it like a consultant uh, role? No, I think it's in the front office. All right. Well, I mean that would make sense if he if he sticks around with Villanova. You know, at least he wouldn't—he wouldn't have to have the added pressure of uh, of coaching literally every uh, every right. season. 
Uh, I want to get your thoughts on because uh, we were talking about injuries earlier. I forgot to bring these two specific ones up, and one of them, actually, both of them are pretty huge. Uh, mm. Devin Booker of the Phoenix Suns is set to mm. miss both games three and four against uh, against New Orleans. And actually, I believe game. Well, actually, no. He already missed Game Three, so Game Four is tomorrow night at nine thirty, uh, where Phoenix looks to make it a three to one series lead over New Orleans uh, due to right hamstring tightness after he exited Game Two. Now it's considered to be a huge loss, uh, considering considering the fact that you know normally the Suns are money when they have both Devin Booker and Chris Paul on the court at the same time. And granted, they did win game three. That doesn't mean they're going to win game four. How mm-hmm. big of a loss potentially be for for the Suns, especially since if he does return for game five, you don't know what kind of condition he's going to be in, if he's going to be 100% exactly. or – or you you don't know at what strength he's going to be playing at the entire rest of this series. Yes, all right. So what impact? What, what what impact do you think this could potentially could this potentially turn the tide uh, for the Pelicans? It could because you know. Like I've said, it only takes one one significant injury that can turn a team's uh, fortune or misfortunes around, and the Pelicans, you know, they might be able to take advantage of this. And not not just uh, not just Phoenix, but also Milwaukee is dealing with an injury. Chris Middleton, one of their starters, is set to be reevaluated in two weeks with a sprained left MCL. And Middleton is probably one of their top, probably one of their top three-point shooters. Uh, originally, when he left Game Two, the Game Two loss to the Chicago Bulls on Wednesday, it was previously announced that he uh, that he was dealing with a sore knee. However, now it's revealed it's a sprained left MCL. So, with him missing at the very least two weeks. It looks like Grayson Allen is probably going to be moving into the starting five uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks. But, I mean, this could potentially extend into the into the next matchup, which could be presumably against yeah. the Boston Celtics. Which I hadn't chosen to be the surprise in the uh, playoffs. Uh, what well, what are your thoughts on that, Lou? You know, I, obviously uh, Chicago. You know, they were able to surprise everybody when they took Game Two against uh, against uh, Milwaukee before being blown out in Game Three. That was could a, this that was a disgrace. Could this potentially work in Chicago's favor? After what happened in last night's game, no. After that blowout loss at home, I don't think so. 
I mean, this is another another scenario where, okay, if Milwaukee ends up advancing, uh, presumably against Boston, assuming that Boston doesn't throw a three, uh, doesn't blow a three nothing series lead here, uh, yeah. which by the way. By the way, I believe that would be the first time in NBA history that a team were to ever do that. Um, yes. You know, you you kind of have to assume as well that Middleton, if he does play to start the series against uh, – to start next series, whether it's against Boston or if Brooklyn can somehow come back, uh, he's not necessarily going to be at 100%. With a sprain, uh, after dealing with a sprained uh, left MCL, you know it's this. This could be, depending on the matchup, a pretty big problem yeah. for for Milwaukee moving forward. Not just that, but now we also have uh, the Miami Heat dealing with an injury with Kyle Lowry leaving last night's game against Atlanta uh, with a left leg injury. And it's not known how serious that injury is, but, you know, who who knows how long Lowry's going to be out. And if Lowry has to be out for an extended length of time, that means that the Heat are going to have to rely on Jimmy Butler even more to produce. It's like, all of these injuries are now all of a sudden starting to pile up for all for for each of these teams. Yes. And you know, this is exactly the worst time for them to be happening too, because uh that this is obviously in the middle of the playoff run. I mean, you even had uh the Raptors, you know, Thaddeus Young. He he's been dealing with a hyperextended left thumb. Scotty Barnes literally just came back from a sprained left ankle, which, by the way, I believe he tweaked earlier in today's game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just more, more and more of these injuries are starting to take okay, place. Right. It's and I, and actually, from what from what it says here with Devin Booker, uh, he could actually miss two to three weeks. Uh, it says here with uh, with his hamstring strain, from what it looks like, and not not just games three and four. So this could be uh, more of a more of a serious blow uh, to Phoenix than originally thought. Mm-hmm. So that obviously uh, will be something to keep an eye on moving forward here. Uh, a couple of stats from this past week. Duncan Robinson he set the Miami Heat record for three points uh, for for three pointers in a playoff game with eight three pointers, as he scored 27 points on nine for 10 shooting, and grabbed a rebound in 23 minutes during last Sunday's blowout win over the Atlanta Hawks uh, for Game One. Uh, also. Uh, Al Horford in game one of the Celtics-Nets series, he became just the 13th player in NBA history to record a 20-point, 15-rebound playoff game at the age of 35 or higher. 
the other 12 players to do that, well, let's just say they are either Hall of Fame, they are either in the Hall of Fame already, or yeah. they are Hall of Fame bound. As you have, I mean, just, just to list off the names, Kareem, Barkley, Baylor, Wilt, Duncan, LeBron, Carl Malone, yeah. Dirk, Hakeem, David Robinson, Russell, Dominique. All of these players are either already in the Hall of Fame or they're Hall of Fame bound already. Yeah. And Al Horford now becomes the 13th player in NBA history to record a 20-point, 15-rebound playoff game. And this comes at the expense of what of what uh, Bruce Brown, the comments that Bruce Brown made before this series, where he basically said that Daniel Tice and Al Horford, Daniel Tice and Al Horford don't bring anything to the table compared to Robert Williams, and that they could easily abuse uh, Al Horford and Daniel Tice uh, going straight, going straight to the basket. Which honestly is is probably the biggest mistake that that uh, that you can that you can make right before a playoff game because the last thing you want to do is give a team any bulletin board material, right? And that's exactly what Bruce Brown did right before the start of this series, which Kevin Durant did his best to try and immediately deflect uh, those comments. I mean, he flat out he flat out said, "We uh, we know what the Boston what the Boston Celtics can uh, you know what they bring to the table, and what those uh, those two particular players bring to the table." Now, this next bit of news is kind of a head scratcher, Lou, because yeah, have you ever have you ever seen a head coach get fired? After two consecutive years of improvement? Not to my knowledge, no. And I think that's wrong. You know, he was on the upswing and whatnot with his team, and yet you fired him anyway. And I, of course, am talking about James Borrego of the Charlotte Hornets. He started off his Charlotte Hornets career with a 39 and 43 record a couple of years ago. They missed the playoffs. Uh, his second year, they went 23 and 42. They ended up missing the playoffs. Last year, they went 33 and 39, and they got eliminated in the play-in tournament. This year, 39, arguably his best record as uh, as head coach, and they ultimately got eliminated in the play-in tournament in an embarrassing loss, might I add. Uh, That was actually worse than last year's loss. Uh, But, you know, he he had two consecutive improvement years, and he was given a three-year extension this past offseason. So he had two years remaining on, on his deal. And 
now all of a sudden Charlotte has just decided has decided to pull the plug. I mean, I can understand why, considering his overall record. I mean, hang on, let me make sure I have this right. He he went 138 and 163 with Charlotte in four years. Now, pre- previously he was uh, he was the interim coach for the Orlando Magic in 2014-2015, where he went 10 and 20. Uh, during that year, when uh, when Jacques Vaughn had to uh, well, when Jacques Vaughn got fired got fired from the Orlando Magic, and uh, ultimately James Borrego ended up coaching the team for the remained for the remaining 30 games of the season. But and I, I mean, he had been building a young team in Charlotte, which is Charlotte has clearly been a rebuilding team for uh, the last couple of years, and it it just it kind of seems like Charlotte management for some reason ran out of patience with him. Yeah, and ultimately that's why he ended up they ended up firing him. Uh, I mean, it seemed like Charlotte was starting to turn a corner, so I don't think this was really the right decision, but obviously I'm not an executive, so I, you know, I'm just a fan. I don't, nobody really, nobody really, uh, nobody really takes fans seriously, but I can to, me, that. to me, it wouldn't seem like the right move to have been made. I mean, he was over 500 at least, four games over 500. You know, it's it's still a work in progress out there in Charlotte uh, after the post uh, after the post Kemba Walker years. So it's. And plus, there's there's talk that Gordon Hayward apparently wants uh, wants out. So, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be in, they're going to, they're going to basically be uh, rebuilding for quite a while out there in Charlotte. And depending on what they get for Gordon Hayward, you know, who knows if that, depending on what they get for him, maybe that rebuild gets accelerated. But, Let's go over to the NHL as we have the Stanley Cup, uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs set to get underway. Any, uh, let's see, we have about three games left, I think, of the uh, of depending the on your schedule. So, depending on your schedule, yeah, four or three games left. Uh, in Boston's case, it's four games, uh, but for for New York, it's three. Uh, which, by the way, Boston did beat New York earlier today, three to one. Um, that's one hell of a season Chris Kreider has had, by the way, fifty-one goals for the uh, for the New York Rangers. And you know, a lot of people were wondering if New York made the right choice by extending him uh, to as big of a contract as they gave him, and ultimately. I mean, he didn't really. He hasn't disappointed so far in New York. 
is actually looking like like a legitimate threat this year coming out of the Eastern Conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but looking as uh, looking at the matchups that are at the uh, teams right now as they are, all of the Eastern Conference is decided. Uh, we have Carolina, we have the New York Rangers, and we have the Pittsburgh Penguins as the top three in the Metropolitan Division. Uh, we have the Florida Panthers, who have officially clinched. Uh, they have officially clinched the best record in the East, so they will officially be the number one seed out of the East. Uh, Toronto with 109, and Tampa Bay with 104. Uh, the two wild cards we have right now are the Boston Bruins and the Washington Capitals. Now, obviously, depending on what happens as a result of uh, the remaining games here, uh, there still could be certain matchups that take place, depending on the result of uh, the result of these uh, of these final uh, these final games. Uh, in the Western Conference, we have one playoff spot. Or actually, no, we do. We have three playoff spots up for grabs uh but in the the central division is all locked up uh colorado they have the best record in the west so they will officially be the number one seed with 116 points uh minnesota is in second with 107 points uh third in the central division is the st louis blues with 105 in the Pacific, you have the Calgary Flames, who have won the Pacific Division with 106 points. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers, they have officially locked themselves into a playoff spot with 98 points. And the Los Angeles Kings are in third with 94. Meanwhile, our mm. two wild cards, as they are right now, are Nashville and Dallas. Uh, which both have 93 points apiece, four points ahead of Las Vegas, and six points ahead of the Vancouver Canucks. Now, obviously, there's still there's still games left to be played, but for the most part, it looks like those are the teams that are still in contention as of now. Now, what are your thoughts, Lou? Just uh you know just just from from a standpoint uh from a standpoint here looking at these two conferences mm. i mean who, who does it look like who who do you think would be the favorites uh to potentially hoist the stanley cup you think we're going to see it from the east or do you think we'll see it from the west i think we'll see um well the avalanche have to say anything about it it'll be the west but, um, you know, Florida Panthers, though, have shown, like, you know, they can be contending for the East. So, it's going to, you know, on paper, that's where the matchup looks like to be. But um, I'm thinking, I think the Avalanche um, are going to are gonna take it. So, I think it's going to come from the West this year. You know, the, the East you know, has been, the you know, very competitive. The big question for the East, too, though, is can Carolina – regain their hot streak that they were on at one point where it seemed like they were virtually unbeatable. Oh, I hope not. 
I mean, they were winning games like six to two, six to one. It was, it looked unfair at certain points uh, with yeah. Carolina, and you know, a lot of people were kind of surprised when they traded away uh, Nedeljkovic in the off season. You know, a lot of people weren't expecting Carolina to have uh, such a good team goaltender wise, but. A lot, you know, they they have surprised a lot of people uh, with their goaltending, uh, their goaltending trio of of uh, Frederick Anderson, uh, Piotr Kochikov, and uh, Antti Ranta this season. It's mm. been very surprising. Uh, you know, not not surprising in terms of offensively. I mean, offensively, they've always had the firepower, but. A lot of people felt that they might take a step back because of the fact that, you know, they traded away a goalie who looked like was going to be their future. Uh, he looked like he was going to be their future stud, basically, in that. And instead, you know, he's now he's now withering away down in Detroit. So... Uh, but Carolina, you know, there's always the possibility if they can get hot again, they could potentially be the team to challenge Florida. Uh, yeah. You know, I wouldn't rule out, honestly, I wouldn't rule out Boston uh, ever since they acquired. Uh, ever well, since you they acquired Lindholm. Today, so, yeah. Yeah, but ever since ever since they acquired Lindholm from the uh, from the Anaheim Ducks, they've been a lot better whenever he's been out there on the ice, as opposed to uh, using any of their other. Uh... I mean, the problem with this is now, you know, they have two. They have defensemen who had been starting all season long. And now there have been certain defensemen that have been having to take a back seat ever since they acquired Lindholm, and then they acquired Josh Brown, and they had to they had to start mix and matching, uh, you know, taking Brown out of the lineup, putting uh, putting either Mike Riley or Derek Forbort in the lineup, and obviously Lindholm, you know, is being paid like a top two a top two defenseman. So he's not going to miss any time unless it's due to injury. Uh, but ever since, you know, ever since he's been out there and if they've had a fully healthy team, Boston has shown recently that they can beat almost anybody. So I wouldn't rule out the Bruins. Toronto, if they end up facing Tampa Bay, in the first round, I can tell you right now, Toronto is headed for another first round exit from what it looks like. If they end up having to face Tampa Bay in the first round, they are headed for another first round exit. I would be surprised if they end up, uh, if they end up uh, actually making, uh, making Charles Barkley uh, be right. And, actually getting through uh getting through to the next round for the first time in mm-hmm. forever. Uh I mean for, honestly from what it looks like right now, it looks like it's going to be Florida versus Boston, Toronto versus Tampa, then you have Carolina 
against Washington, and you have New York against Pittsburgh for their first round matchups. And not to the sound of that. I mean, honestly, let me put it this way: I would give I would give Boston a better a better chance of getting by Florida than I would than I would give them a chance of getting by Carolina. So, you know, there's that to think about. But uh, I would expect that we see Tampa Bay knock off Toronto. Uh, you know, I would say New York would knock off Pittsburgh, but we've seen crazier things happen with Pittsburgh in past years. And plus, with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin on that team, I can I can never rule them out for for uh, for any reason. I hate Malkin. Uh, Carolina, I would sort of expect them to to take out the Capitals because, I mean, let's be honest. Ever since winning the Stanley Cup, Washington hasn't been the same team. You know, it happens to a lot of teams, though. You know, they're high and mighty, thinking they're unstoppable. After winning the championship three uh, a year, and then after that, you know, they just fall apart. I mean, breaking up the team and whatnot, and, you know, or they just get too cockeyed and thinking that they are never going to lose, and it happens. You know, it's uh, you know what I call the uh, championship hangover because that's exactly what it is. Yeah, and sometimes the cha- sometimes the hangover lasts for years, as opposed exactly. to uh... and then when you lose it, you know you. So got the effect that you can't win. You know, you had your chance and you blew it, and uh, you won't and you won't win again for years, even decades to come. Yeah. Just as the Rangers in nineteen in uh, two thousand fourteen. Now for the Western Conference, the way things are panning out, uh, in the Central Division, it looks like it's going to be. Ugh. Let's see. Let's see how. Wait a minute. Hang on. Let me look this up by division. Let me look this up by division. Uh, okay. So, the way this is looking, depending on if Nashville and Dallas are both representing. Wait. Yeah. Okay. If Nashville and Dallas are both representing uh, the Central Division as the two wild cards. Obviously, Colorado would get the worst of the two records. I would assume that would probably be Dallas because Nashville yeah. does have one game on hand. So Dallas has three games left. Nashville has four. I would assume Dallas would be the worst of the two. So Colorado would get that matchup. And in that case, I would assume that Colorado would probably beat Dallas. Uh, Minnesota and St. Louis. Uh, I'd say maybe St. Louis, just based off of uh, just based off of how their uh, how their team is comprised as a whole. I wouldn't be surprised though if Minnesota knocks them off. Because uh, Binning- yeah. Jordan Bennington isn't anywhere close to the. He isn't anywhere close to the goaltender he was when they won the cup, so that still leaves that open. 
for the Pacific, Nashville would face Calgary in the first round. I would expect that Calgary would advance. And when it comes to Edmonton and likely Los Angeles, I would expect we would probably see Edmonton advance to the second round. Mm-hmm. But obviously that all depends on if Los Angeles can hang on or if Vegas somehow sneaks their way in there. Uh, that's another the last shot there. I mean, Vegas Vegas has, has four games remaining. Depending on if, if L.A. loses each of their last three and Vegas wins out, Vegas would take the number three spot in the Pacific. Uh, that would mean also that L.A. would likely be eliminated unless both Nashville and Dallas lose all of their remaining games, which I don't see happening. No, no. So I would assume that we're probably looking at Los Angeles as the number three seed for for the Pacific. Yeah, you know, looking at the two conferences between the East and the West, I would be more frightened about the East than I would about the West, which is really Mm. weird considering the fact that the West usually has the tougher teams. I don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm I'm taking a look at, the difference between the playoff teams and the non-playoff teams in the East, and there's a significant gap, yeah. like a twenty-point a twenty-point gap between the Islanders, who are the highest uh, the highest non-playoff team in the East with eighty points, and the lowest playoff team with ninety-nine, which is Washington. I mean that's a that's like a 19 point gap between the yeah. best non-playoff team and the worst playoff team out of the East. Now, oh, as far as the Western Conference goes, I mean there's a you still have like three different teams in the running. So, I mean that honestly that just kind of, that just kind of shows you how, you know, how much closer it is uh, between playoff and non-playoff teams compared to what we're seeing. But, yeah, you know, I mean, with the with the NHL playoffs coming up, it should be, it should be a pretty interesting, uh, a pretty interesting battle. Uh, I would yeah. assume, I would assume that we're probably looking at uh, we're probably looking at the winner of the Stanley Cup coming out of the East. The only, honestly, the only contender I can really see out of the West is Colorado, unless St. Uh, Louis yeah. makes that, imp- unless St. Louis makes that improbable run again, like they did in two- in 2018. Was it 2019? Which I guess. 
or 2018-2019, one of those two years. I forget which. I think it was 19. Because um, uh, the, the uh, oh, okay. Crapitals, I think, won in uh, 2018. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right. So, yeah. Or or maybe it's the other way around. I forget. Uh, okay. Regardless, you know, St. Louis, unless they go, unless they go on another improbable run again, you know, I, I'm not really sure about Minnesota over there and Calgary, mm-hmm. Calgary, there's always something that ends up going wrong whenever they reach the playoffs. And the same thing goes with Edmonton. So, I mean, if I were a betting man, I would probably put my money on Colorado to represent the West. Because it seems right. like this year they finally have it all together, especially after losing their number one goaltender to uh, Seattle. You know, they they lost their number one goaltender to Seattle, but yet somehow they're on top of the West with 116 points. Over on the East, honestly, I can only see. No, I can't be. I can't be a homer and say Boston. Honestly, I can only see maybe three teams that could potentially make it this year: Florida, Tampa, and I. I, I know a lot of people say. Tampa, Tampa's third seed, though, yeah, but they have a shit ton of firepower on that uh, in that lineup. That I don't care. I don't care where they're positioned. Just because they're positioned uh, uh, lower in the rankings, that doesn't mean that they can't out uh, they can't outgun anybody at any point in time. Yeah. And maybe Carolina, if they can get their shit together and get back to mm. playing the hockey that they were playing uh, to begin the, uh, you know, for most of the season. Now, let's go. Let's go back to the Celtics game for a minute here, because. I want to bring up the two totals. You know how we talked about, uh, yes. you know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? Uh-huh. The two totals, the two totals for tonight, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, two superstars, both had 16 points apiece. They got outperformed by Bruce Brown by 10 right. points. These are two guys that are supposed to be your cornerstones. I don't think Kevin Durant has hit the 20-point mark since, the, since game one. You're right. Kyrie Irving, yeah, he had a six-point improvement uh, in this one, but still... I, a, a near a near double double, sixteen points, nine rebounds. Uh, Kevin Durant had had a near a near triple double, sixteen points, eight rebounds, eight assists. But still, these are two players 
that should be that 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 should have the uh, have the power to take over any specific game that they're in. And they got outperformed by Bruce Brown for a second straight game. Yeah, that is hard hard to believe. I mean, Lou, it just it seems like there is something seriously wrong with this Brooklyn Nets team. I don't know, yeah. if, you know, maybe it maybe it is the coach for all we know. Or maybe it's the fact that they're playing against Here's the thing I don't get. The, they're playing against a suffocating Celtics defense. But yet there's been games this season where Durant and Irving had had have had no problem scoring on this Celtics defense. Right. So I don't understand why they're having so much trouble now as opposed to uh, by the way, yeah. Kyrie Irving, he went Kyrie Irving went 0 for seven from three point range tonight. No win that way. 0 for seven. Durant only attempted three three point shots. Two for three. Because most of the time he's being double teamed now by by Boston. Uh, some other point totals from uh, from the one hundred nine one hundred three final. Uh, Nick Claxton thirteen points off of the bench, thirteen points, seven rebounds. Goran Dragic for the first time this series was held scoreless off of the bench. Uh, Patty Mills. 12 points off of the bench and Blake Griffin in his first return to action in I forget how long, eight points off of the bench, including two three-pointers. So, and Andre Drummond was just a complete waste of space in the starting lineup tonight. Right. Two points. Two points. Three rebounds, one assist. It's like, what the fuck are you even doing out there? That's what I would have said. It's a, it's a, like he wasn't even rebounding. He was he was out rebounded by Bruce Brown and Kevin Durant. Matter of fact, he was. Well, I would actually expect that out of Nick Claxton because Claxton is more of a power forward slash center. So he was out rebounded by by Nick Claxton as well. Hell, Kyrie Irving had the same amount of rebounds as he did. So I don't know what is up with this uh, Brooklyn Nets team, but they are down three nothing, and I believe yeah. uh, I believe in series where a team is up three nothing, that team went, has won uh, out of one hundred and forty three times. The, uh, that team has won each and every one of those series whenever yes. they've been up three games to none. No team has ever come back from three all deficit in any series. Now, looking at the Boston Celtics side of things, uh, Jason Tatum, this was one of those nights where Tatum goes off. Uh, 39 points, six assists, five rebounds, six steals, as well on 13 of 29 shooting, uh, including 
10 trips to the free throw line. Uh, he shot 90% from, from the free throw line, missing only once. Uh, Jalen Brown, 23 points, five assists, four rebounds. Marcus Smart, 14 points, six assists, three rebounds. Uh, Peyton Pritchard off of the bench, 10 points. And Grant Williams, seven points off the bench. Derek White, only two points. Two points, but six rebounds. Uh, Robert Williams in his first game back, 15 and a half minutes. Two points, two rebounds, one assist. And depending on what depending on what they decide to do, he may be in the starting lineup next uh, for, for game four. So uh, that would mean Daniel Tice would be moved to the bench after he had nine points tonight to go along with six rebounds and two assists, including a three-pointer as well. So, regardless, Boston has Brooklyn on the on the brink, and you know we brought the. Uh, uh, we brought this up in sports whispers earlier today, and I want to bring, I want to pose this question to you, Lou. Sure. What potentially happens to this Brooklyn Nets team if they get swept in four games? Do you think we you see? Do you think we see like maybe perhaps Durant or maybe Irving get moved in the off season? I mean. I do. It's pretty embar- it's pretty embarrassing if you have if you have uh this group of players and they're not able to produce. So much for the big three. So yeah, and you had and you uh you know and not and not to mention you had uh you had Harden to start the year and you traded him for Ben Simmons. That was the beginning of the downfall. Well, I agree. Was COVID. You know, that was the big threat right there. Because, you know, before this, we were in first place, and we were up by 12 games um, by Christmas, and then after that, all hell broke loose. I mean, it didn't help either that, you know, uh, you didn't have Kyrie for any of the home games this year. Uh, for the most part, until until they lifted the uh, the vaccination uh, mandate. Uh, but uh, you know, other than that, you didn't really have any. You didn't really have any uh, any home games with Kyrie Irving, uh, and the only times that the big three ever really played together were on the road, and even then. You know they weren't playing like a big three should play. No, they weren't. You know they they it seemed like they never really had the chemistry like you've seen out of like say Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, or uh, or LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, or Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman. You know, uh, Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, and 
Who would be the third? Who would be the third star from that Lakers uh, dynasty? Oh, I can't even I can't even remember. But yeah, you know, point the point being is that yeah, you can call it a big three, but they never played like a big three. No. I mean, yeah, last year, last year they had those. Uh, they had those moments where we're, where everybody was like, it, this isn't even fair, having, uh, you know, having such a, an offensively gifted team. But yet they completely collapsed once they got to the second round of the playoffs. Yeah. And, you know, I think it kind of spoke measure. I, I mean, if, if, if we go, if we're going based off of any, uh, past, I think Kyrie has possibly quit because whenever teams yeah. have, whenever his teams have gone down in the past, he's basically grown disinterested. Like when uh, when Boston went down, when he was in Boston, when he was in Boston, and Boston went down, I think it was three nothing or three one to the to the Milwaukee Bucks one year. He didn't even bother to suit up for that final game. Mm. He decided to instead go. Uh, he instead he instead decided to go to the mall or something. I, f- I forget what it was, but you know he didn't even bother showing up for that game. Period. And Kevin Durant. You know he was so lackadaisical tonight. It kind of seemed like. I I don't know if he's just frustrated at the at the uh, defenses that Boston keeps throwing at him. I think he could him. be, but it just seemed like he kind of checked out, basically. Because yeah, that's what I was said. Checked out because he wasn't imposing his will like he should be. You know that sort of led people to question too. If he never joined the Oklahoma City Thunder, would he even – or not Oklahoma City, uh, the Golden State Warriors. If he never joined the Golden State Warriors, would he even have an, an NBA title? Hell no. You know, would would he be that type of player that would be able to lead a team to an NBA championship? I mean, he almost had one with Oklahoma City that one year. He almost had one. Then he goes to Golden State, ends up winning, I think, what was it, two? Two NBA titles, I think? Yes. And now he comes to Brooklyn, and everybody's looking at Brooklyn and thinking, oh man, this is you know they got Kyrie Irving coming in, they got Kevin Durant, you know everybody's looking at Brooklyn as being this next big juggernaut in the East. And okay, yeah, their first year of playing together fully, they were, you know, they were on t- they were close to the top of the East, but then they then they fall all the way down to the play-in tournament this year. I mean, yeah. It just I don't I don't know if it's their coach. 
I don't I don't know if it, if it's Steve Nash and the fact that he doesn't really make adjustments or if his players have just become disinterested. I think they have become disinterested. It could also be an age factor as well though, too. Mm. With uh you know, sort of like what the La- the problem that the Lakers have. The fact that the Lakers, you know, they have they have so many uh, so many players now that are uh, you know that are older that are growing uh, getting up there in age. Like me. and it's sort of the same thing with Brooklyn, where you know Ky- Kyrie and Durant they're basically in their prime, but. Everybody else that's surrounding them is, you know, in their mid to late, mid to late thirties. You do have Bruce Brown, who's young, twenty five, twenty six. Uh, you know, it it just it just seems like age may potentially be another big factor out there in Brooklyn, and that's why I would not be surprised at all if they just completely, if they completely blow everything up essentially if they end up losing uh if they end up getting swept by boston because the way that boston has been playing this series i mean uh, they're saying that they're playing at a historic rate right now the way they've been able to shut down kevin durant like they have and you know, Kyrie, yeah, Kyrie went off in game one, but now games two and three, they've seemingly shut down Kyrie. And, it, it, you know, I remember uh, the excuse was put out there. Well, you know, Kyrie, he's, uh, what's it called? He's uh, acknowledging Ramadan, that, uh, mm. that holiday where, uh, where you have to fat, you have to fast. Uh, during that during that uh, during yes. that point, that period of time where you can't eat for a certain amount of time, and I mean he even he even ended up going into the locker room to grab a banana and uh, and some other things uh, while the second quarter of of game two was still going on. So a lot of people felt that well maybe Kyrie is you know feeling weak because he's currently going through Ramadan and everything. Tonight, you know, I don't. I don't think he even went to the locker room tonight, except for halftime. So, I mean, okay, you know, people want to give that excuse for for game two. What was the excuse tonight? Um, I mean, I don't know, but it's. I think they're going to have to address something with that uh, with that club. This year, uh, this off season, especially if they they end up, if they end up getting closed out in four or five games, they they're going to have to address something because, I mean, honestly, I I honestly feel like a fool right now for saying that my that that I was most afraid of uh, of of facing Brooklyn because I, you know, Paul Pierce even said this tonight. Uh, he said that we may have seen 
Jason Tatum bypassing Kevin Durant right through the right through our, uh, right before our very eyes as a star. And you know, I, I was I was looking at that. I'm like, really? I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, Jason Tatum, you know, this Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum. This may be more of our, uh, you know, this this may have been more of a coming out season for Jason Tatum. But has Kevin Durant really, uh, you know, really taken a step back? To where, he, you know, he's playing at uh, he he to where he actually regressed this season. Mm. Uh, by the way, Durant is thirty-three, mm-hmm. so Durant is actually uh, Durant is actually older than Irving. Well, it's not exactly old yet. You may be eighteen. I mean, he's still got some years. NBA sta- by, by, by NBA standards. I mean, depending on the type of player you are. I mean, let, let me let me yeah. just put it up. Let me just put it to you this way: LeBron James now isn't the same LeBron James as he was at the age of thirty-three. Of course not. And I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking at Durant's stat line this year. You know, 29.9, bordering on 30 points per game, 7.4 rebounds, 6.4 assists. It's not like he's regressed at all, stat-wise. As a matter of fact, let me see if I can find his... Yeah, he actually... This is actually the best that he shot point-wise since the 2013-2014 Oklahoma City season where he had 32 points per game. And this year he averaged 29.9 through 55 games. So, I mean, I... Honestly, I, I have no idea what is going on with yeah. him right now that has caused that has caused Durant Durant uh gave an excuse to the media just now. He said that he's been thinking too much this entire uh this entire postseason. I see. And that's why he is uh you know, that's <laughs> that's why he that's why he's been lackluster. But at the same time, he's been thinking too much. That's the exact same excuse that you gave last game. That you're thinking too much. And some of us are guilty of that. So, I, you know, Colin Cowherd put it this way. This is what KD wanted hoop with a friend and not have a heavy-handed coach. Wonder if it feels as good as he thought it would. And, you know, it kind of makes sense. He he spoke with 
uh, Kyrie Irving at the All-Star game a couple years ago about this, about bringing, uh, you know, about bringing their talents to Brooklyn. By the way, I find... I find it kind of funny that two weeks ago, Nets fans were really chanting, we want Boston, uh, two weeks right. ago during, at the end of the play-in yeah, uh, game. Yeah, only by that. At the, yeah, at the end of the play-in game, they, always, they, they said that we want Boston. And yeah. Yeah, you guys want to face a number two seed. You guys – I mean, I guess I could kind of understand. I would probably rather want to face Boston than face uh, Miami. But, mm-hmm. I mean, my God, it's – I just I, – I guess I never thought that we would see the Nets go down this low compared to what they were last year. I didn't think we would see that big of a drop. But now, the Boston, now the Boston Celtics have a chance to end the Brooklyn Nets season on Monday night on Brooklyn's own home court. And that, that also being that there's the potential that Robert Williams may actually play more minutes in game four as well. And... Ben Simmons, believe it or not, there there is actually a stat at play here. If Simmons plays in game four and the Nets lose, he will be the first player in NBA history that has been that has played in back-to-back playoff eliminations in the last consecutive games that he has played. He will be the first player ever to do that, to be eliminated in back-to-back games that he has played. And, you know, it's, it's entirely possible. I mean, yeah, there are some players who are, who are still playing. I mean, who knows? This, this, yeah. for all we know, this entire Nets team may have just checked out entirely. I mean, they've been, they, I, I believe they won the rebounding game today or tonight, or at least for the most part, the most of the game they were winning on the on the boards. But I mean, Boston has just manhandled them, like physically. Boston has has uh, has has kept putting bodies on different players. Honestly, I don't think I have ever seen a team that has been stacked that that has been this stacked talent wise get so rattled like they have been in this mm. series for for a series that was supposed to be closer than than it currently is right now. I mean, hell, Boston took the first two games of the series, and yet Vegas was giving Brooklyn uh, the odds-on favorite tonight. 
Brooklyn was favored by three points tonight. I'll tell you one thing. Anybody who put money on the Celtics, anybody who put money on the Celtics made some dough tonight. Yeah. Lucky you. Yes. Oh, I wish I I wish I had put money on them. Trust me, I wish I had. You didn't. No, I didn't. Because usually, if I go from previous Celtics uh, from previous Celtics history, usually when they're up two games to none, they usually lose game three, and maybe even game four as well. But so, I mean, I I am even shell shocked right now by this that Boston is somehow up three games to none on this Brooklyn team. And now it's almost leading me to wonder that maybe Steve Nash does get the uh, the scapegoat treatment. Maybe he is the maybe he. Uh, I mean, a lot of people believe that he that he was coaching for his job tonight. Mm-hmm. But we also have to keep in mind, too, this is the same Boston Celtics team that three of the last four years they have made the Eastern Conference Finals. Right. So, you know, there, there's definitely experience. In this uh, in this team, and you know what, Stephen A. Stephen A. Smith kind of just brought this up right now. Going back to Ben Simmons, yeah. Why why wait until why wait until playing on Monday? If you could play on Monday, why the hell couldn't you play tonight? So that kind of that kind of is leading people to believe that maybe this is just a publicity stunt by Simmons. Uh, to uh, to make it look like he's trying hey, you're a pussy. to make it look like he's trying to come back when really he'll just be yeah. held out of game four possibly. Mm-hmm. It's it's just like Stephen A. Smith just said. Why play? Why play, Why hold off until Monday if you could have played tonight? I think he's lost it. I don't know. But uh, going into boxing for a minute here, uh, Tyson Fury. It looks like we have seen Tyson Fury, the Gypsy King, for perhaps the final time in his illustrious career. Or have we? Tyson Fury... Mm knocked out Dillian White with a right uppercut in the sixth round today, uh, successfully defending his WBC and uh, the ring heavyweight, or they call him, uh, they call it the lineal heavyweight title. Uh, yeah. To improve his record, to improve his undefeated record to 32-0-1. And they're considering this to be the biggest event to ever, the biggest boxing event post-war to be held in the history of the United Kingdom. The biggest 
post-war boxing event, uh, which was it was held at Wembley Stadium in uh, in London today, and it sounded like that Tyson Fury Tyson Fury said that he was going to be a man of his word and basically stick to it that he would retire okay. following this fight uh where he had he completed his 23rd knockout in 33 fights however then in came Francis Ngannou who is the UFC oh, yeah. heavyweight champion oh. he is the UFC heavyweight champion and he has been known to have recorded the hardest punch in not just MMA history, but history, period. From what it sounds like. So now, this sets up the possibility that we could have boxing's hardest puncher in Tyson Fury facing (laughs) off against Francis Ngannou MMA's hardest puncher in you know a a lot of people felt that that Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather was the biggest crossover fight yes this this one may be on par with that one because it's going to be two heavyweights it's going to be two heavyweights that are going to be boxing Francis Ngannou who arguably uh, arguably is the hardest puncher in MMA history against Tyson Fury, who some people say is the hardest puncher in boxing history. I've heard that. So this could be the next super fight that we're looking at here. Now, you know, normally I would say, you know, mixed martial artists, they don't really have a chance going into the boxing world. Uh, no. But when you're, when you're somebody like Francis Ngannou, who, who, who relies solely on punching power, and, I mean, he very rarely does he go to the ground at all in mixed martial arts. Right. He's primarily a stand-up, a stand-up fighter. Could this potentially be an even matchup? I mean, granted, you have the Gypsy King who, you know, has been used to, uh, who has been used to boxing all of his career. Uh, and yeah. yet you have Nganu, you have Nganu who has, who has trained for five, for five, uh, for, for basically 25 minute fight in the UFC, but is, yet has never fought in professional boxing. Could this potentially have a different result, if at all, because of the punching power? It might. It's a big factor in it. I mean, just the fact that it, it was different with Conor McGregor. With Conor McGregor, he's been yeah. known as basically a volume puncher. He's been known as a volume puncher, and 
you know, most of the time, yeah, he would knock out people, but you know, it, it would it would be helped when he uses his whole body as opposed to just his hands. And Ganu right. can actually legit knock out people cold with just his fist. So. I think it would be very interesting if this does come to fruition, which from what it sounded like, it sounded like both fighters were interested. This could be Tyson Fury's, Tyson Fury's next fight if this does happen officially and not, you know, an amateur fight or whatnot. If it does happen professionally, it could be, Perhaps his last his last big uh, threat that he has to face because I mean he already he already beat Deontay Wilder twice, who uh, yeah. many people consider to be one of the hardest punchers in boxing. Now he's going to face an MMA star, who I mean let's face it most of most of uh, uh, the Gypsy Kings fights don't last long, anyways. So I mean, the window would be there yeah. that if that if uh, if Nganu were to somehow score a knockout, that window would be around would be still around that that time frame where, uh, you know, a, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be out of character for the Gypsy King to potentially score a quick knockout. You know, this isn't like Floyd Mayweather, for example, who knocked out, uh, well, he didn't really knock out Conor McGregor. It was more like Conor uh, literally could not get up because of how exhausted his body was. He wasn't exactly knocked out. Um, it was the fact that he literally couldn't lift his hands to where the ref mm-hmm. ended up stopping it. Um, but, you know, th- I mean, this is a different situation. We could potentially see a battle of two heavyweight sluggers going at it here. Yeah. I, I don't know, you know, Lou. What do what do you think about that? You know, could obviously with uh, with Ngannou focusing mainly on his punching power, despite him never having professionally boxed before, uh, only having fought in MMA fights, do you think he could potentially stand a chance against the heavyweight champion of the world? No, I think with the lack of experience with that, I think that's going to be the disadvantage that he has. You know, it was one thing when, you know, you had uh, McGregor and, and Whitaker, you know, which is, which was a decent fight, but still, um, you know, McGregor didn't have a chance. So I think it's going to have the same result here. If you don't have the experience and going against, a, you know, a seasoned fighter, you don't got a prayer in hell. Well, to be fair, McGregor. To be fair, McGregor also took Mayweather ten rounds, and many would argue yeah. 
many would argue that McGregor was actually winning that fight before he before his body just completely gave out on him. I kind of thought it was going to happen that way too. Well, yeah, I mean, think think about it. You're if you're an MMA fighter, you're only trained to go 25 minutes. Uh, I mean, how 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 much is it per round? Three three minutes per round. Three minutes. Or is it three two minutes, minutes in pro? Two minutes in um, amateur. In amateur, okay, okay. So yeah, three minute rounds, and basically McGregor went one more round or a little uh, close to one more round uh, in terms of MMA fighting. He went 30 minutes as opposed to the regular 25 that he trains for. You know, obviously the body isn't used to going 30 minutes. And in Ganu's case, I think he's only gone the distance maybe once or twice in his career because he's never had to. And most of the time, whenever those times that he did go the distance, he never really seemed gassed at all. So I don't know if cardio will be much of a problem for Nganu. I think, you know, obviously, you know, maybe perhaps he could reach the halfway point of the fight, like maybe anywhere Mm -hmm. from six, six, seven and eight with no problems. I think much like McGregor, I think if it hits like round 10, oh, what is this? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you watching this, Lou? What happened? A fan just tried to charge the court. It had to happen. What the fuck is up with people in Minnesota? Yeah, or in or in the sports world in general. You know, always trying to pull something. That's so the fans charging. Okay. That's the third idiot. Yeah. And I I I have a feeling, yeah, it had to do with pro with a with protest. But that is the third fan this postseason in a Minnesota game that has had to be removed. I tell you, you Wolves people have got some weird fans. And it has to do with the fact that, uh, you know, I brought this up last week. Uh, Glenn Taylor, who is uh, the owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves, yeah. Uh, has something about him with killing chickens and whatnot, or or something like I've that. I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. And it was all, you know, we've had these wackos. One woman tried to glue herself to the court with Elmer's glue, no joke. Another woman tried wow. to chain herself. Another woman chained herself to the backboard. Uh, to the uh, well, not the literal backboard, but you know what I mean—the uh, uh, yes. the bottom of the hoop—and uh, she did successfully. And now, a woman just tried to charge out onto the court. They got pa- they got past the uh, 
they got they got up out of their seat, got past the the coaches, immediately got tackled by security though. Uh, and and now she literally she literally just got dragged off of the court by four different uh, by four different security officials. I mean, seriously, you know, Lou, this is starting to get ridiculous. It is ridiculous. The fact that fans fans can go go out and do this shit. Yeah. I mean, what are these people smoking? I don't know. They're obviously not sane people. They're really not. You know, this is the same... This reminds me of what happened last year when a fan threw a threw a bottle at Kyrie Irving. Uh, yes, a Boston yes, fan. I remember that. A Boston a Boston fan threw a bottle at Kyrie Irving, and you know it's like this. Obviously, is a different story because this was more of a protest sort of thing. Uh huh. You know, this is more this is more of a pro a pro uh, a protest sort of thing, but. Still, you do that. Do that shit off of the court. Do that shit away from the game. You right. want to protest? Go up, protest outside the Target Center or something. Don't don't yeah, do this freak. shit during a game. You know who knows? Obviously, obviously, you know most of these fans are uh, are harmless. But who knows if there's ever a fan that maybe has snuck? Maybe they snuck something into the game. Like a like a knife yeah. or something, and and tries to so stab to one of these that. players. I mean, I seriously, to you're gonna that. start to you're gonna start to see fans. Uh, you know, th- this this is only gonna only gonna uh, only gonna impact the fans negatively. Like you're gonna start to see you're gonna start to see teams now take preventative measures for the fans because or or you know to protect the safety of the players because of the fact that fans do do stupid shit like this <laughs> sure do believe we just saw that happen live just now i can believe it these days the fans you know they do all kinds of stupid you know stupid antics so why should this be any different the thing that gets me is this is literally this is the same thing uh the same exact team. All three of these incidents have yeah. happened in a Minnesota Timberwolves playoff game. Yeah, these Wolves fans are ridiculous. I mean, I just don't I I I don't understand what the hell is what the hell is going on here? By the way, uh, an update on Kevin Durant. A lot of people, a lot of people said that he looked very worn out tonight. Like he looked exhausted. Hmm. You know, it kind of leads credence to what I to what I kind of said to what I said about. Uh, about age, I mean Durant granted thirty three. There's still 
plenty of years left for him to play, but could age be potentially playing a role? I would think so, because, you know, it does play a role. Or are we seeing seeing Kevin Durant be exposed by this Boston Celtics defense that basically – He's still the same Kevin Durant that he was with Oklahoma City. No, he's not. The the basically the the thing that I'm the thing that I'm trying to say is that this shows that he needed help in order to win a title instead of winning a instead of uh bringing a team to the championship himself and winning it himself. I mean, I just, it's, this is very uncharacteristic of Durant. And by the way, on a, on a replay here, yeah, that was definitely a woman that, uh, that guy. I, I, I'll tell you one thing. Security was definitely right on top of her, almost like they knew Good. she was going to. Almost like they knew she was going to charge because she came right from the second row. She came right from the second row. She climbed over everybody else in the first row. To try and charge the court. I mean, literally on replay, this shit, this shit happened so fast. It went. It's it's almost like a car goes right by you at, at fast <laughs> speed, and you're like, "What the fuck was that?" That's that's literally what is. That's literally what I what I uh, what I saw here. By the way, somebody said uh, first impression after attending a Nets playoff game at Barclays. They have oh. zero home. They have zero home court advantage. Their fans couldn't care less. Right. As a matter of fact, somebody actually somebody actually said that uh, what's it called Madison Square Garden would have had more reaction from their fans. Oh, of course. If the Knicks if the Knicks were if the Knicks were in uh were in Brooklyn's uh shoes. You know though, it kind of when you think about it, you you kind of have to feel for the vets who signed on in Brooklyn uh under promises that ended up not being kept. You know, people like LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, Patty Mills, mm-hmm. Goran Dragic, uh, you know, being promised that they would uh, that they would be title contenders, and yet they ended up becoming a team that that just barely made the playoffs. And instead of uh, instead of being, they were told that they would be, that they would sign on to contribute 
if they had if they had come on with with minimum deals. I mean, Patty Patty Mills already has a ring, so that doesn't matter. But you know, right. Lamarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin though was injured the past two games. Lamarcus Aldridge has been completely healthy. He's been riding the bench the entire the entire uh, postseason so far through three games. Didn't even see a single shred of playing time tonight. Goran Dragic was barely used, and the amount of time he was used, he played poorly. Patty Mills, honestly, Patty Mills probably out of out of each of those four names. Patty Mills has probably been the only consistent player on Brooklyn this year out of those four. Yeah. Matter of fact, he was the one person that I wanted the Celtics to uh, to pick up before <laughs> Brooklyn ended up grabbing him. Ugh. But John, honestly, yeah, that you know that pissed me off because I would have rather I would have rather Boston I would have rather Boston had grabbed him. Look at this, John ja Morant, four points and eight assists tonight for Memphis. No wonder Memphis is down by eleven right now. Only eleven, though. It's not, you know, it's not uh, insurmountable. I can come back from that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can come back from that, but John ja Morant, it isn't helping. That John Morant is having right. a very uncharacteristic night for himself tonight. Yes. I mean, a very uncharacteristic night. Only four points. This is a dude who is basically this is a dude who's basically taken over Grizzlies games. Right. And it's almost like he took a step back to his rookie year tonight. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we all have rough nights, though. Oh, yeah. You know, it doesn't help either that uh, they're in foul trouble. Uh, Their entire starting lineup is in foul trouble. Four fouls for Morant, four fouls for Brooks, three for Jackson, three for Tillman, three for Bain. Yeah, that honestly, it looks it looks like a if if uh, the track continues the way it is right now, it looks like Minnesota is going to be able to tie this one up. Who would have thought? I would assume that Philly probably closes things down between them and Toronto in Game Five, especially with Matisse Tibble returning. However, like I said, we have to you have to keep an eye on Joel Embiid with that thumb. Because yes, who who knows who knows uh how long he's going to be able to go uh dealing with that pain. I don't think he's going to make it through the season. I'd be surprised. Uh, yeah, Utah he's had something done before the season's over. Yeah, Utah and Dallas 
honestly, I don't even know where that series is going because I thought I thought once Doncic came back that Dallas would would uh, would take off, but Utah has has now tied that series up. And you know you gotta you gotta think that this has to be the year that Utah finally shows something, otherwise they yeah. risk potentially losing. They risk potentially blowing up that entire team. I would think so. I mean Utah has been fighting for so long, and they've never and they've never won a title. Yeah. Uh, but, but you know, there's a, there's oh, and there's number four on Bane. So that's even Jesus. That's foul number four on Bain. Offensive foul. Unbelievable! Wow. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, bad. Uh, anyways, that's gonna wrap it up for us tonight. Uh, we have just about a minute left. Uh, thank you, Lou, for joining me tonight. We will be back next Saturday night for another edition of Sports Whispers Weekly. Uh, don't forget, Thursday night, join us. for uh, Join Jim Early, uh, myself, and the gang as we will recap the uh, Survivor episode the, for, uh, for this Wednesday night. Uh, obviously, it's Thursday wow. night that we do the podcast. Uh, it'll be Thursday night that we do the podcast like we do every Thursday night. Uh, then obviously we will be back next Saturday night for another edition of Sports Whispers Weekly. If you guys haven't done so yet, subscribe to the Missy AE podcast on either blogtalkradio.com slash Missy AE or on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or Amazon Music by searching Missy AE, and you'll get access to these podcasts and all of our Survivor, all of our Big Brother, any of our podcasts that we've done in the past. Everybody have a good rest of your weekend, and we will see you guys next Saturday night. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.